If you would, please turn in your Bibles to two places. Exodus chapter 20, verses 17. And then we will read Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. So we've got Old Testament and New Testament that we will look at today. We are continuing in our study of the Ten Commandments. We come now to the fifth commandment. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We think about fathers and mothers, and I will just be honest with you, Growing up, I assumed parenting would be a lot easier than it actually is. I, I thought about, you know, wiping runny noses, changing dirty diapers, taking the kids to practice or whatever. Like, okay, yeah, that does sound sort of difficult. I had no clue. <laughs> That's not even part of what's difficult of being a parent. Now, you might be wondering, after reading Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 12, this fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, that is explicitly directed at the children, why I am now talking about parenting. Well, it is true, Exodus 20, 12, this fifth commandment is most explicitly directed towards children. Children are the ones who are to honor their father and mother. And of course, when I use the word children, I mean children of all ages, uh, they, they could be youngsters, teenagers, or, you know, uh, parents themselves. But they are still children uh, to their parents. And this is a command primarily directed to him. But something interesting happens in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. As you'll notice, Paul quotes the fifth commandment, and he applies it first to children, then to parents as well, how children should respond to and relate with their parents, but then how parents should respond to and relate to your children. And they are both tied to this fifth of the Ten Commandments. And so let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So this is that's not the, the first of the Ten Commandments. That is actually an implication of the Ten Commandments on the life of a, a young child who is uh, still under the, the purview and authority of their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he says this, he quotes the fifth commandment. Verse two, honor your father and mother. This, Paul says, is the first commandment with a promise. Then he picks it up again. Verse three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's to children. But then look at what he says in the very next verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you see what Paul did there? Uh, in verse 1, he took the implications of this fifth commandment and applied it to children. In verse 4, he took the implications of this commandment and he applies it to parents. Children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of 
the Lord. And by the way, don't get too hung up on the fact that the word fathers is used there. Uh, I don't believe that Paul was only speaking to fathers. Uh, in the Greek, sometimes that word fathers was used for both parents. We see that in Hebrews 11, for example. Uh, speaking of Moses' parents, it says his fathers, as though he had multiple fathers. Uh, no, it's talking about his, his parents. Um, my, my guess, uh, you know, from, from biblical foundations, my, my guess would be the reason he uses that word fathers there in verse 4, even though he'd used father and mother in verse 2, is because he is pointing out and reinforcing the fact that the father is uh, the primary leader of the home and does carry primary responsibility. And so fathers does in, in, in the Greek sometimes mean father and mother, but I think he used that word just to remind fathers, this is where you need to take the lead, uh, even though the mother will, will need to, to, to be doing this as well. But I just want to make sure you see that. The fifth commandment, I have always looked at it, I've always read it and said, okay, that is how children of whatever age are, that's how they're to relate to their parents. They're to honor their father and mother. But as I studied, as I start to look at places, the New Testament authors expound upon that commandment, I noticed, oh, Paul applies that to parents as well. And so next week being Mother's Day, I hope you all heard me, <laughs> dads, children, Next week being Mother's Day, so write that down, a little note on your bulletin, whatever. Next week being Mother's Day, I'm saving the, the children's responsibility to the parents for next week. And I, I'm excited about that to learn what it is to honor our father and mother and, and honor and respect for God. Uh, but this week, I want us to look at the other dimension that clearly is, is a, a part of this fifth commandment, because that's what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, drew out. And I, I do just want to say again, before I was a parent, I did not understand why parents struggled so much. I remember looking at my parents and, and wondering why they did certain things, wondering why my mom sometimes acted like a crazy woman. Now, my mom is awesome. She, she is great. And I get it now. <laughs> Now I'm like, oh, she wasn't crazy. She was just a mom. You know, like, I wonder why they made certain decisions. I'm like, I wouldn't have done that. But now I look back with such empathy and say, wow, parenting. Now that is a responsibility. And so with that understanding uh, of my own empathy and my own struggles as a parent, um, I, I want us to, to dive into this. And so let's first take it to God, uh, to God in prayer, because I think we all, and myself included, are going to need his grace this morning. Father God, first I want to thank you that I get to call you Father God, that you are my supreme parent my perfect father, the one I can come to with all my troubles, trials, joys, questions, lack of wisdom. Lord, you are there for me, and I'm so thankful for that because of what Jesus Christ has done. I have been united, adopted into your family, and same is true for my brothers and sisters here today. And so, Lord, with that confidence, knowing that we are in your family, that you love us not based on our own merits, but on the merits of Christ. We want to hear from your word today how the fifth commandment applies to parents as well. Lord, we want to recognize if we aren't walking in your way, if we aren't doing something that is pleasing to you, and we want to be changed, we want to be transformed. And we want to do this, Lord, 
for your glory, the good of our children, and conversely, just through that, the good of the nations as you raise up godly offspring, Lord. I pray that you would do this again in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we have seen that the fifth commandment, Exodus 17, applies not only to children, but also to parents. It is the parents' role and responsibility to help their children obey the fifth commandment in obedience to God. And so this is what I want to first show you before we even look at the more practical implications of this. We need to understand the importance of godly parenting. Now, we live in a culture, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, we live in a culture that is doing its best to destroy the family unit and everything it stands for. God, in the beginning, created uh, man and woman. He brought them together. They were to be joined together as one flesh, and then they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the goal of that was godly offspring, that children would be raised up under the purview and instruction and guidance of their parents. And through that, the earth would be filled with image bearers of the glory of God. Men, women, children, boys, girls who love God, trusted God, obey God, and found their deep joy in God. And so it's no surprise that our culture is currently doing everything it can to subvert the family unit. You can read socialist documentation, which uh, America is like pushing for socialism uh, on the liberal side. Socialist uh, documentation that it is their goals to, to dismantle the family construct. That rather than the mother and father informing and training up and guiding the morals of the child, the state would do that. That is terrifying. It is, the, the whole purpose of it is to thwart the plans of God, to bring children up in a godless environment, a godless world, and godless morals that are dictated by culture and the whims of those who happen to be in power and influential. And so when we think about parenting, we need to recognize how important a role it is God has given those of us whom have had the blessing of bringing children into this world. And so the first thing <clears throat> I want to show you of, of why this is so important that parents help their children to obey this fifth commandment and all the other uh, commandments as well is first this. Disobedience displays their heart. I hope you can see this in the context of Exodus 20. If you still have your Bible open there in the context of Exodus 20, this is the fifth of 10 commandments. The four previous commandments have all been about faithfulness and fidelity to God, Yahweh God, seeing him as supreme, worshiping him as supreme, not degrading him, living as though he is the God whom he says he is. And only now, in the fifth commandment, does he explicitly turn to the horizontal dimension, human relationships? And so you say, okay, well, now, now that he's turned to human relationships, now God's out of the picture. No, this is in the Ten Commandments. We have not started a, a new book. This is still God's word. This is still the Ten Commandments. These are commands from God for the way people are to live in relationship with him 
But beginning with the fifth commandment, the relationship with him will have implications on relationships on the human plane. And so I, I hope you understand this. This is very important that when a child belligerently and continually dishonors their parents, it is not just the parents they are dishonoring. They're dishonoring God. When they are sinning against their parents, they are not just sinning against their parents. They are sinning against God. You remember David said, against you and you alone have I sinned. He had sinned against tons of people, but his point was you actually are the most fundamental moral being. You are the lawgiver. You are the judge. You are the standard. And so when I sin against anyone, including my parents, like this fifth commandment, I am actually sinning against you. And so to dishonor, to reject, to sin against parents displays that child's heart that they actually desire to reject, sin against, and dishonor God. This is an indicator of the child's heart, the state of their heart, whether or not they have a relationship with God. And that is a very weighty thing. That's a very weighty thing. And so that's just from the context of, of this uh, fifth commandment. But we even see further uh, within the, this commandment that disobedience determines their destiny. Now, I recognize that, that these verses are giving a promise, a positive promise. Uh, we see there in Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, now for Israel, they've just been freed from Egypt, their slavery there, and they are headed to the land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the land of Canaan. This was a land of, of prosperity and plenty and peace. That was, is what God was promising them. And so he says, if you will obey this command out of reverence for me, as an outflow of your love and devotion to me, you honor your father and mother, then your days will be long in the land that I am giving to you. Now, you might say, well, for us as, as New Testament people, we live in the New Testament age, we don't have a land with borders. We don't have a land with, with governments that, that is our promised land. And I'd say, well, that's, that's true. But look at what Paul says there. Honor your father and mother. Then he even puts a, an exclamation point on the promise. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so it's not even an exact quote there. What Paul is doing is he's taking that promise given to Israel and he is applying it to New Testament believers as well, to those who live in this New Testament area. And so again, this is a positive promise. And so I sort of hate to do this. We'll, we'll look at the positive side of this next week, I promise. Um, but inherent in a promise is okay, if you do the right thing, this is what will happen. But if you don't, at the very least, you won't receive that good blessing. And so you think about it with Israel, if you know anything about their history from the Bible, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Did they obey God's commands? No, they, they didn't. Not, not for long anyways. Did they live long in the land that the Lord their God was giving them. No, they, they, what happened is peace 
was exchanged for enemies invading, overtaking, and ultimately taking them away as captors. That's what happened. The opposite of this promised blessing was, was a curse. I mean, uh, to, to be frank about it, it is not good to be going against God. And, you know, one, again, revelation of that, display of that is dishonoring of father and mother. Now, that was for Israel. But as we've seen, Paul is applying this promise to us. It may not look exactly the same as for Israel. And so, I mean, it actually is difficult to know exactly how this command, or sorry, exactly how this promise is being applied to us as Christians. It could mean that we will experience in our, you know, right here, right now lives, uh, relative peace and prosperity, that it may go well with us in the land that God has placed us in right now. It could mean that. But I would remind you that the promised land for, for Israel has, for us, become the promised land of God. Not a land with borders, but the new heavens and the new earth where God dwells. I mean, the, the implications of this could actually be eternal. You will not. It, it, sorry, it will not go well with you. You see that? That it may go well with you. It will not go well with you. And you won't live long in the, in the land. You, you won't be in the promised land if you disobey this command because it reveals a disobedient heart against God. And so, again, I, I don't know the exact application of this promise or of failing to, to obtain this promise. But I can tell you it will not go well. They will not live long in the land. And whatever that means, it is not good for children. Again, if, if, if disobedience to this command, dishonoring a father and mother reveals a sinful God-rejecting heart, then, I mean, that seems the logical conclusion that the, the promised land, it, it won't go well with them. They won't live there. So this is a massive command if it has implications for parents that we help the children to obey it out of love and honor and obedience to God. It's so easy as parents to get distracted by what the people down the street are doing and how they're raising their kids. It's so easy to get distracted by the things of this world, the success that people are pursuing and to want that for our kids. Uh, we, we were doing a Nehemiah study, um, I believe it was on, on Thursday, and one of the guys in, in the study said this, uh, priorities protect. Priorities protect. They protect you from wasting your life. And what I want to show you is I believe the implications of this command for parents that their children's very eternal lives hang in the balance should give us some very clear priorities. What good is it if our children succeed in business but have no spiritual relationship with God? What good is it if they're, they're good at sports and, and can please their coach, but do not please God? What good is it if that child gains the whole world, but loses their soul? To paraphrase a quote of Jesus, it is no good. It does not matter. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with wanting your child to be happy. But if those things are 
primary, if those things are your priority and what shape your life and shape your family, it will not go well for your child and they will not live long in the land. Remember, that child is born into this world a rebel, (laughs) sin nature, already bent away from God. Remember, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and that includes your child. Remember that we live currently in a sinful world system that is bent toward dishonoring, disregarding, and rejecting God. Our children are not safe. Our children need us. That is what hangs in the balance. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, this is all a little dramatic. I mean, I can't make my child's choices for them. I don't have the power to determine their destiny. That's something they have to decide. And you're right. You can't make those decisions for them, and you should not carry that burden. You really should not. But here is what Paul does tell us as he applies this fifth commandment to parents. Let's see what I got there. How did I do that? Doesn't matter. Parents possess the power to provoke or to persuade. This is what we see quite clearly in Ephesians 6, 4, that parents do have the power not to make the decisions for their children, but to provoke them or to persuade them either away from God or toward him. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers or parents do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's very clear from that that verse that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, parents, you may not realize the power you possess. No, you can't make your your children's decisions for them. You can't make them trust in Jesus. You can't make them obey God. But you can provoke them and push them away from God. Or you can persuade them towards God. This is uh, basically kind of what we see in Proverbs uh, 22. Man, I don't have it. (laughs) Proverbs 22, 6. Uh, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That, that's, again, you, you train up the child in the way that they should go, and that's the way they will most likely go. We cannot push our children down a certain path, but if we blaze that trail for them, that's probably the way they're going to go. That's, that's the biblical pattern. Now, we need to understand that this is not a, a fatalistic promise. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is not a fatalistic promise. It is rather a proverb of the way things usually go. There are certainly uh, godly children out there who had some very go- ungodly parents. I, I know quite a few of those people that they grew up in some very rough childhoods and maybe God used a friend or a, a church ministry or, or something else to reach their heart and they forsook the path their parents were plowing for them. And there are also times when children have godly parents who love them, pray for them, do everything in their power to train them up, imperfect as they are, And yet the children decide to turn 
away, at least for a season. And, and so it is true that, that, that these are proverbs, not uh, promises there in Proverbs 22.6, but the exceptions do not eliminate the rule. There is still a principle in place here. God has given children to parents, for parents to steward. They are entrusted to the parents. And because of that, God has given parents the power to, to persuade them to follow, to show them the way. But with that, parents also have the power to provoke them away from God. This is what we see. So how might parents provoke their children to anger? How might parents provoke their children to anger in such a way that it tempts the children, not forces them, but tempts them to walk away from God, to dishonor God? I uh, did a bunch of thinking about this. I may, I've got like a list in my phone of all these different ways I could think of that parents might provoke their children to anger. I, of course, read, you know, uh, biblical commentaries I looked up examples in the Bible of times that children were provoked to anger, provoked away from God by their parents. And, and I could give you all those lists, and I'll, I'll give you some, but I realized something uh, that was common about them all. They all boiled down to one trait that the parents were exuding that angered the children, and that is selfishness. You could maybe look at it from different angles, but that's what I see is a selfish parent provokes their child to anger and away from the Lord. You know, you can see this uh, sometimes that are, are very obvious. The, the, the parent uh, who ignores their child, they've got better things to do than to deal with your junk. That's selfish, right? Like, I mean, that's obvious that that's selfish, the parent who's more worried about success than the child's spiritual life, well, that, that's selfish. You know, you can use whatever um, excuse you want. Well, I've got to provide. Yeah, I get it. But, but what if you're just pursuing success and not, not really so much worried about provision? Well, that, that's, that's just selfishness. I think about pursuing comfort, the parent's own comfort over that child's conformity to Christ and faith in him. I mean, it's easier to, to not be investing in the lives of our children, to not be instructing, to not be disciplining. It's more comfortable, but it's selfish. I think about the next one uh, there, withholding love and affection. We, we, we see this oftentimes. If a child is not following our perfect standards, our, our way of disciplining them is to withhold love and affection from them as though it must be earned. And so we're telling that child, you must earn my love. You must earn my affection. And that is selfish. Requiring something of the child just so that you will love them and show affection, that, that's clearly selfish. You see there, to withhold discipline. We're gonna pause for just a second on this one. Because this is selfish parenting, to withhold discipline. I, I don't know how many times I have heard and I, I watch the children just completely doing their own thing, completely unsubmissive and dishonoring to their parents. And they say, well, I don't discipline my child because I just love them so much. I, I usually don't say it out loud because 
you got to use a little more tact. But that's not love, that's selfishness. You want that child to like you, so you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to do the dirty work of discipline, so you just are passive. You let it all go. You're permissive. Let them do whatever they want to do. And that's not looking out for the best interests of the child, is it? Because we've just seen that, that they're, they're, they're going to have this sinful heart. You're leaving them. You're leaving them in that sinful state. You're leaving them open to Satan's attacks. You're leaving them for the world to direct their path. That is not love. Proverbs 3, uh, 13, rather, 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod just loves their... Ch- no. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. A child who does not receive consistent, firm discipline will grow up angry because their parents did not care enough about them to discipline them. I've seen it over and over again. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm 35 years old, so I've just, I've watched enough people and, and walked alongside enough people who came out of, you know, being a teenager into an adult. And I've watched the ones who had no bounds, who had no discipline, they are angry. They mock their, their foolish parents and they, they begrudge them for not caring enough to direct their lives. That provokes children to anger. But there is... The other side of the pendulum isn't there. There is the overly strict and overly severe discipline. This is the one who says, you are not going to sin against me. You hear that, me? That's selfishness. Hey, I had my plans going and you've ruined them and you are in big trouble. My plans You're not going to make me look foolish at church. Make me look, it's all about me. It's all about me. And by the way, this strict, severe discipline, I get it. Strict, severe discipline, a show of force on that child at a young age will bring surface level results. It will. But that's the selfish path because what you're doing is rather than building up, training their heart, you are crushing their heart. Colossians 3.21, Paul actually used a different wording there. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children that they may be disheartened, that they may lose heart. That's the idea. This, this anger, this, this verbally and sometimes physically abusive actions crushes the heart of the children. And they can never feel like they, they can trust God anymore. He is only a severe dictator in the sky who wants to hurt them just like his parents did. All of these ways and more. I mean, again, I could could put a much longer list up there. I'm just giving us a taste of what it looks like to be a selfish, anger-provoking parent. And I've done all of them, by the way. All of them tempt our children to turn away from us, to dishonor us. And ultimately, that is to turn away from God and dishonor God. And Jesus has some very startling words to say about this. Matthew 18, 6-7, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, 
but woe to the one by whom temptations come. Friends, our children are going to face all sorts of temptation. The world is going to allure them and entice them. Satan is going to lie to them and their flesh is going to eat it up all without our help. But woe to us if we foster the sinful side of them, if we provoke them to unnecessary anger because of our selfishness. And again, uh, I have felt in all these ways, Paul is not saying if you've done these things, if you've ever provoked your child to anger, then they are doomed. That's not what he's talking about. what, What is the pattern of your parenting? What sort of parenting are you pursuing? Is it selfish or is it God glorifying and child focused, I guess you could say, for their good? But there and there is that other side, you know. Don't provoke them to anger, but there's that but. There there is an alternative. We do not have to bring this temptation upon our children, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so this is what I want to show you next. Number three, godly parenting requires intimacy and intentionality. This is what will, just as much as, as our Selfishness can provoke anger, intimacy, and intentionality in the ways of the Lord as a parent will have the opposite effect of persuading them towards the Lord. I want to show you this uh, just to to the best of my ability. You know, you can sort of get the sense of it uh, just from the verse, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, but I, I still feel like there are some some very practical applications of this that I, that I want to draw out. What do I got up there? Yeah, okay. Here here's the first application of this this in intimacy and intentionality, and I just don't want to miss this first one. You see, first up there on the screen, foster your own relationship with the Lord, parents. Foster your own relationship with the Lord. Notice there, he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You cannot bring a child somewhere that you are not, right? You cannot lead a child down a path that you are not walking. It does not work that way. And so there, there are innumerable parents who have a child and, and they all of a sudden say, oh man, we've got this little soul and like I want it, you know, brought up in church. And so, you know, they, 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 they kind of like, maybe send them to, to church and, you know, drop them off at things and uh, maybe Wednesday VBS and, or uh, rather Awana and then VBS in the summer. Like they, they want the best for their child, but they are unwilling to walk that path themselves. It will not work. But conversely, parents, we have this great opportunity to pursue the Lord with all of our hearts and minds and strength and to show our children what it looks like to follow God, to trust in him and him alone for our salvation and righteousness, to be instructed and empowered by him to obey his commands and to do so with a deep, satisfying joy. Kids will not want to follow you if you're miserable following the Lord. (laughs) So guess what? It is incumbent upon us as parents to pursue our delight in the Lord so we can say, man, 
you got to get you some of this, son. You got to get you some of this, daughter. You're like, God is just so good. You say, but, but you're having to serve and you're having to sacrifice. I know, but he's so good. That is how we persuade our children to, the, to see that the Lord is good. You foster your own relationship with God. The second practical application. By God's grace, I would say just abstain from those anger-producing parenting techniques, this, this selfishness. And again, we just see that in the beginning of, of verse 4. Uh, do not, <clears throat> fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I, I have known some, some dear friends who, who it, it seems they, they really do want their children to follow the Lord, but it's just so contradictory with the ways that they treat their children. They talk about the love of Christ, but then they're pouring out constant anger and wrath on their children. Or they talk about God's law being good and more precious than jewels, but then they put zero restrictions on their child and don't push them to obey the Lord and, and so on and so forth, this selfishness. And again, we need to abstain from these by God's grace. And so I would just say fathers, mothers, we need to deliberately ask God to reveal and remove these selfish tendencies in our parenting. It is not a fun process. I get it. It's embarrassing. It's humbling to realize how self-centered we are, but we need it. Otherwise, we will provoke our children to anger with our selfish parenting. Third, enter the life of your child. I was talking with one of you uh, this past Wednesday about uh, one, one of the main errors uh, this friend sees with parents is that they try to train up their children from far off to kind of, you know, throw them the Bible and say, you figure that out, you obey that, you follow God, I'm going to live my life, you live yours. But that simply is not the command here. R read it with me again, that second half. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. It doesn't say teach them merely. It says bring them up. This is a walking alongside. This is, this is a closeness, a nearness. And again, you could look into the, the Greek word and the other uses of it in the Bible. There is an intimacy involved in this sort of bringing up. It is a shared life. And this is what is being commanded here. Fathers, mothers, don't provoke them to anger, but instead enter into their life. Share your life with them and bring them up in the dis, uh, dis discipline and instruction of the Lord. I, I know we're busy. I get it. I'm, I'm busy. A lot to do. But it just simply is not enough to provide our children with food and clothing and housing. It is not enough. And it is not even enough to simply tell our children the facts and hope they figure it out. We must enter into the lives of, the ch of our children to the best of our ability. I, I get it. We got to work. We have other responsibilities as well. But part of laying down our selfishness is saying, when I have time, I I'm engaging. I'm not just there, but I'm in their life. We must enter into the life of our children. And then last, <clears throat> excuse me, then last but not least, discipline 
and instruct your child in the Lord. Mere intimacy, being your, your child's best bud, is not enough. Again, I commend parents who want to be in the life of their child, want to be even friendly and friends with their children. That is good. Those are, those are good. But those cannot be the primary goals because the stakes are far too high. And so we must not only in, enter into their life, but we must discipline and instruct our children in the Lord. This, this is the idea of, of teaching them about God. And by the way, in the Lord, that's so important. That, that means we as parents don't get to decide, you know, what, how we're going to bring up our children. No, we bring them up in the Lord. Like that, that is the path. That is the guide. That is uh, what, what it is that should inform all of our parenting. And so we do, we, we teach them the truths about God, his glory, his greatness. We reveal to them sin. I, I, I would say just as a tip, uh, don't just point out their sin. You, you should, you should show them that they are a sinner by their actions, by their attitudes. But I think it's actually helpful if you're entering in, if you're bringing them, them up to also point out your own sin when you've committed it. Teach them that, that not just you, little Johnny, you, you, you need the Lord. Teach them that you need the Lord. You're teaching them these things. And you do teach them God's law. You do teach them God's commands. You teach them what it is to walk pleasing to the Lord, but not only what God requires, but, God ha but how God empowers what he requires. This is, this is what it is to, to enter a child's life and to discipline and instruct them in the Lord. We show them God's commands and how to obey God's commands by his power. And this does involve discipline in the sense of, of chastising them, correcting them. The, the rod that Proverbs 13, I think it was, talked about. There is a sense of bringing discomfort to a child when they step outside of God's way in the way that you as their parent is instructing them. Why? Because you, the desire is that a little discomfort now would bring eternal righteousness, that it would bring fruit, that it would bear wonderful fruit in their life. Hebrews 12 talks about that, that that's what God does to us. He brings discipline. He brings pain. But it is for our good. It is to bear the fruit of righteousness in our lives. And so this type of discipline is not angry, you've offended me type of anger. It is loving, child, you have offended God type of discipline. And because of this, you need to feel the pain of what you've done so that you will look to God, that you will look to Jesus for forgiveness, for righteousness, and for a transformed life. Again, we could, we could go on with this for so long of what it is to discipline and instruct our children, but those are the basic principles. We're teaching them the, the, what God says about them and this world. And he is a loving God. He's a good God who wants to be their father, who wants to direct them down the path of life. This is God's plan for parents. This is the implication of the fifth commandment for parents, that we parent not for ourselves, but for the glory of God and the good of our children. Now, I, I do just want to say, 
I know that we may all be at different stages on a parenting journey. Some of us may not have started it yet. That's cool. You know, that's fine. Or maybe you're in the beginning stages like me. Maybe you have teenagers or maybe you're even an empty nester with grown-up children that have their own children. Here's what I want to say to all of us, me included. It is never too early or too late to cast yourself on the grace of God as you seek to follow his commands. Never throw in the towel. God's grace would would bid us to keep going, to, to pursue changing whatever unhealthy patterns we have done, no matter how long, and to turn, to change course, that's repent, and follow his standards, his ways. For someone like me, that means right now I got to start breaking these habits. I got to stop letting my my anger, my emotions overcome me or even my my laziness when I don't feel like disciplining. I've got to start breaking those patterns now. And I've got to be intentionally investing in and entering the lives of my my children. I got to start doing that now. And so parents, if if you're you're just in the beginning stages or haven't even started yet, like we just, we got to set these patterns now. Or maybe you have a teen and you say, well, I look at their life and it sure doesn't look like they're honoring me or, or God. And I would just say, again, I, I don't know what type of parent you've been, but look at these patterns and keep searching God's word and ask him to change you. And if you're even an empty nester, the children are already gone and yet they are, are turning away. I, again, I just want to say this. I think you would be amazed how far humbling yourself before God and your children will go in the life of that child. And so if you know that, that it is somewhat due to your failures as a parent that has provoked that child to anger, then I would say, deal with it before God. God, forgive me for this. I, I see what I've done. Forgive me for this and help me to change it. Then deal with it with that child. For some of us, those are hard words to actually go to our children, grown children and say, I've messed up. And we would say, well, they've messed up in all these ways and they've said and done all these things. It doesn't matter. This is between you and God. And this is how you are to respond to your child. So I would just say, humble yourself before that child, grown as they may be, unsavory as they may be in their current state and say, I see that growing up, I wronged you in some ways. I did these things. I was selfish and I provoked you to anger <clears throat> and, I, and I bear that responsibility. And, and I want to do my best at whatever I can at this stage to change that, to, to not be a selfish parent, to, to, to treat you with, with the intimacy and intentionality that I can at this stage. And, and my desire would be that that would heal our relationship. But more importantly, I want that to heal your relationship with God. I think you'd be surprised at how far that can go. But I want to warn you, the healing in your relationship probably won't be quick. It sometimes happens, doesn't it? Some, sometimes the healing, it, it can be quick. But generally, this is a long road. And even their relationship with God, usually it won't be like, okay, now I love God and want to obey Him. And with my, That's not usually the way it goes. But what I'm talking about is a long-term with your, your face 
forward, just this is the direction I'm going. I'm going to treat my child with love and respect and honor, even though I failed in the past and even though the way they've treated me now. And I would just say, watch God work. With man, this is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. My hope is not in myself as a parent. If it were, I would be one very depressed man. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. And and that's how it can be for all of us. He's forgiven our sins in Christ Jesus, and he can now empower us to live as the parents we are to be. So let's pray together and bring this to the Lord. Father God, we, we do cast our failures before you. I know not everyone in this room is a parent, but Lord, me as a parent, almost six years in, I just see so many failures, so many moments of selfishness. The pendulum of my heart and my flesh swings both ways, and I, I sometimes give in to that, Lord. And um, I, along with my brothers and sisters here, we, we just cast these failures, these sins before you as parents, asking for your forgiving grace, Lord, but also for your transforming grace. Lord, we want to be godly parents and we want to bring up godly offspring. Lord, turn our eyes to you, the only thing, the only one that can actually keep us from our selfishness is seeing your surpassing glory. Fix our eyes on you so that this selfishness can be removed from our hearts and from the way we parent. And Lord, help us to be filled with your love and your patience and your peace so that we can discipline our children and we can train up our children, but every interaction would be filled with love and a desire for that child to know you and love you and serve you. And Lord, I I pray even now, again, thinking about perspective, I pray that even now, Lord, you would be changing our hearts and we would be parenting in godly ways and by your grace, we would produce godly offspring that change the world around us. That they would take part in making disciples of all nations, Lord. This really is a nation's issue. Because if there are no future godly offspring, there is no hope for the nation's hearing. And so, Lord, we thank you that we get to take part in your plan. We thank you that we get to be parents, those of us whom you have uh, granted that to. And we ask for the wisdom and strength to steward our parenting responsibility to your glory. All this I pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand together.